This message comes from NPR sponsor, Capella University. With Capella's FlexPath Learning Format, you can earn your degree online at your own pace and get support from people who care about your success. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. From NPR and WBEZ Chicago, this is Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, the NPR News Quiz. Calm down. What's all the hullabaloo about? I'm Bill Curtis, and here's your host, both to this show and multiple Airbnb guests who demanded their money back. Peter Sagal. Thank you, Bill. And thanks once again to our fake audience, which we are delighted to report have all been fake vaccinated. Later on, we're going to be talking to Kemp Powers, who has been nominated for two different Oscars this year, one for writing One Night in Miami, one for co-directing Pixar's Soul. He is a true hero of the pandemic. Just as we were running out, he gave us what we needed most, two more things to watch. So don't wait. Give us a call. The number is one wait wait That's one 924 Let's welcome our first listener contestant. Hi, you're on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Hi, Peter. This is Jen calling in from Yardley, Pennsylvania. Yardley, Pennsylvania? W- where exactly is that, Jen? Oh, we're just across the river from Trenton, New Jersey. Oh, lucky you. <laughs> just to be able to wake up in the morning and see across the mist-covered <laughs> Delaware, the spires of Trenton in the distance. What? It's paradise on earth. What do you do there in Yardley? Well, I do corporate due diligence, which is a fancy way of saying that I basically Facebook stock Saudi princes and Russian oligarchs. You Facebook stalk Saudi princes and Russian oligarchs? Yes. Um, we make sure that mergers and acquisitions are going okay and people aren't paying for terrorists or paying bribes. So just making sure everything's on the up and up. Wait a minute. So you're like Facebooking with a Russian oligarch and saying, sir, are you in the up and up? And there is like, da, and, and the merger goes through. <laughs> well, a little more than that. All right. Well, that's the general idea, though. Well, welcome to our show, Jen. Let me introduce you to our fabulous panel this week. First up, it's a features writer for the style section of the Washington Post. It's Roxanne Roberts. Hello, Jen. Hi. Next, a comedian doing actual live stand-up in front of people at Laughs Comedy Club in Seattle, April 30th to May 1st. It's Alonzo Bowden. Hello, Jen. Hi. And a comedian bringing awareness to Asian-American justice issues with her family's YouTube channel, Old Korean Dad Stories and Sometimes Mom, it's Helen Hong. Hello. Hi, Jen. Hi. So, Jen, you're going to play Who's Bill this time. Of course, Bill Curtis is going to read you three quotations from the week's news. If you can correctly identify or explain just two of them, you will win our prize. Any voice from our show, you might choose on your voicemail. You ready to go? Uh, Let's do this. Yeah, let's. Let's do this. Here's your first quote. It's like... A very heavy beached whale. That was the man in charge of removing a ship that got stuck where this week? That'd be the Suez Canal. Yes, you're right. A gigantic container cargo ship got wedged sideways in the Suez Canal on Tuesday, completely blocking all traffic in the world's busiest shipping lane for what could be weeks. They say it was an accident. The ship was somehow blown into the side of the canal. But we've heard the audio where the captain is saying, hey, guys, watch me Tokyo drift through the canal. (laughs) Now, this accident has captured the attention of the world because it is exactly what we all worry about when we try to parallel park. Oh, God, I'm stuck here and I'm blocking 10% of the global economy. But but isn't this like a huge ship? It is a very, very big ship. Like, uh, how how big? Well, Roxanne, it's so big <laughs> that it got stuck in the Suez Canal. Actually, uh, we, I, everybody has gotten a crash course on, like, container ships, and it turns out container ships have, the last 10, 15 years, gotten much, much bigger. So this particular ship, we are told, is as long as the Empire State Building is tall. But how do you explain to your boss, like, this is classically, you have one job. You, yes. You have one job. What do you, you know, boss, there were waves. Didn't expect waves in the water. Oh, it was windy. Yes. I have a ship as big as the Empire State Building, but you know, a breeze hit it on the side. There's really, how, there's no explanation for this. Not it's a- like you start, first boss, let me tell you first, I quit. Now, let me tell you what happened. <laughs> See, that's the thing I don't get because they move so slow that for this to get wedged sideways, somebody 
maybe they were all drunk or something because you thought that someone would have noticed that it was listing off, you know, to the side. I don't know the education you need to be a ship's captain or to pilot one of these ships, how many years of college and navigation all. But I do remember in kindergarten, they gave you like a little thing and they gave you blocks and the square block went in a square hole and a triangle went in a triangle <laughs> hole. So, so when you see the straight canal, you'd like, hey, maybe we should go straight with the ship. Maybe sideways ship doesn't fit through straight canal. Just go back to basics. <laughs> the best thing, though, is, is like this has brought the world together. We're all watching this slow motion disaster and we're trying to suggest ways to fix it. Like the entire world is a neighbor dad now. It's like, Hey, if you tried just rocking it back and forth a bit there, put it to forward and then reverse. See, see if that helps. Good. All right. Here is your next quote. There's no joy in the place tonight. That was Senator Dick Durbin. He was making a terrible pun about whose new plan to quote, revitalize what? Oh, the U.S. Postal Service. Exactly right. When Louis DeJoy was appointed to be Postmaster General under the last president, he denied widespread accusations that he was trying to destroy the post office. So this week, he triumphantly unveiled his new management plan saying, now I'm trying to destroy the post office. The 10-year plan is called, of course, Delivering for America. And it calls for innovations such as longer delivery times, higher prices, and shorter office hours you tried to work in a provision calling for mail carriers to pee on your lawn as they walked by but that would require having to let them drink on their job so he didn't want to do that didn't he pay his bribe money to trump like why does he still have a job well that's kind of i'm, I'm kind of like I, I admire him because as we all remember he was hired uh under president trump and everybody said that this guy's going to destroy the post office because they don't want to have ballots in the election and the Republicans just hate the post office. And then, of course, Trump lost the election and left office. And you're like, dude, you can go home. It's over. But he's like, no, he is so committed to his mission of wrecking the post office that he's going to see it through. Then they should mail him his paychecks. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to point out something. Uh, we all know this guy's name. Our caller, Jen, knew this guy's name. You should not know the name of the Postmaster General. It's like not a thing that should come up. If you know his name, there's a problem. It's like it's like like when you know the name of a ship, something has gone wrong, right? Like nobody ever says, you know, oh, remember the SS Deborah incident where it got to where it was going without blocking any canals? Oh man, he the, he's the ever given of U.S. government right now, Mister DeJoy. If you're listening, this is how you fix the post office. Instead of calling them stamps, call them crypto stamp coin, and idiots will pay thousands for them. Millions, millions, even. All right, here is your last quote: Is the U.S. overrun by chipmunks? Because I'm pretty sure they're the only ones that actually eat it. That was a man named Jay Hibbs on Twitter. He was asking a very reasonable question about the good news that there is no longer a shortage of what inexplicably popular cereal? Shrimp Toast Crunch. <laughs> Yum. Oh, God. I remember it brings back such memories of when I was a kid and being horribly punished. No, not, not that. It was the other cereal story in the news this week. There was another cereal story? There was another cereal story. I know. It's like Believe you, only it or have, not. you have so much bandwidth for cereal stories. I understand. This is a different cereal. I'll give you an interesting fact about this cereal. It involves neither grapes nor nuts. Oh, God. Grape nuts. Grape nuts. Yes. How did you guess? It's great news for everybody. The grape nuts shortage that you were not aware was happening is now over. America's favorite breakfast gravel was gone from stores due to COVID-related supply chain issues, as well as high demand, since it was winter, and a lot of people were stockpiling it to spread on the ice when their cars got stuck. How do you run out of something that no one eats more than once? <laughs> That's the question. Alonzo, inexplicably, I agree with you, but apparently they are massive grape nut fans, so much so that during the great grape nut shortage of 2020, people paid huge amounts what? on the black market. Yes. No. No, no, so much so that, that the, the company is 
going to reimburse people for the black market no, price. No, like this you is, could go no. on eBay and yes. and pay like $300 for a box of grape nuts? Are they sure people were eating it? Or is this like something you pack around drugs so dogs can't smell <laughs> the drugs or something? You know, something that it's got some other use that we're not aware of that these people are, are using it for. So they really needed grape nuts. It's the only thing that throws off a drug dog. Is is fresh grape nuts. <laughs> <laughs> Bill, how did Jen do in our quiz? She did so well with three wins, she deserves a box of grape nuts. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Jen, thank you so much for playing. Thanks, Peter. Thanks, Bill. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Thanks. Take care. Bye. Okay, panel, it is time for you to answer some questions about this week's news. Helen, scientists have found a new effect of environmental degradation. Uh, pollution may be shrinking what? Uh, my first thought, and I don't know if it's NPR friendly, I'm going to say, guys. That's exactly what the answer is. What? Congratulations. A new yes. book by an environmental scientist says not just that sperm counts are falling because of pollution, we knew that, but the delivery equipment is now shrinking to fit. A particular kind of plastic can cause smaller genitals in animals and humans, and oh, it's everywhere. Great. So now do you care about the environment, men? Now yeah. do you care? <laughs> if anything is to get men to start recycling, this should be it. Well, they thought that this would get people, men, finally excited. But then, of course, the men realized this does not act on extant equipment, but it only affects development in newborns. And all the men realized if they just wait long enough, they can finally truthfully claim to be average. Generation X, Generation Y, Generation Z, Generation... Hey, shorty. <laughs> <laughs> Is that a light of mine? I'm gonna let it shine. Is that a light of mine? I'm gonna let it shine. Is that a light of mine? Coming up, we finally head back to the office. It's our Bluff the Listener game. Call 1 888 Wait Wait to Play. We'll be back in a minute with more of Wait Wait Don't Tell Me from NPR. Let it shine, let it shine, let it Shine. Support for this NPR podcast and the following message come from Easy Cater, committed to helping companies solve food. From employee meal plans to on-site staffing to concierge ordering support. With corporate accounts, nationwide restaurant coverage, and payment by invoice. EasyCater.com. This message comes from NPR sponsor BritBox, helping people discover a world of British TV, including new original drama Time, starring Jodie Whittaker, Tamara Lawrence, and Bella Ramsey. Streaming at BritBox.com NPR. On NPR's Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast, we talk about what we're watching, listening to, or just trying to figure out. Like what concert films you should watch if you miss live music, and great books to read alone or in your book club. All of that in around 20 minutes every weekday. Listen now to the Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast from NPR. From NPR and WBEZ Chicago, this is Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, the NPR News Quiz. I'm Bill Curtis. We're playing this week with Alonzo Bowden, Helen Hong, and Roxanne Roberts. And here again is your host, the man who knows there's no I in host. Because if there was, that would be hoist. Peter Sagal. Thank you, Bill. Right now it's time for the Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me Bluff the Listener game. Call one wait wait to play our game in the air. Hi, you are on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Hey, Peter. This is Brian Webster from Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Oh, Winston-Salem, named for the cigarette brands. What do you do there? Uh, I'm an Amazon driver. Oh, wow. I just want to say thank you, because I don't know what we all would have done this last year <laughs> without you guys bringing us stuff. Happy to do it for you. Have, have you ever noticed, have you ever gotten the feeling that certain people are ordering things they may or may not actually need just to just to <laughs> see you, just to have some human contact during the day? Yeah, it's, uh, it's kind of crazy how appreciated we are. 
Well, Brian, thank you so much for bringing us all our junk. You are here to play a game where you will try to tell truth from fiction. Bill, what's Brian's topic? Back to work. We're finally heading back to the actual office for a brief period until COVID-19. 20 comes along. Our panelists are going to tell you about a surprising change we'll see at work. Pick the one who's telling the truth and you'll win our prize, the wait waiter of your choice on your voicemail. You ready to play? Yes, sir. All right. Our first story of workplace innovation comes from Roxanne Roberts. A television producer in Norway has come up with a post-pandemic office show to ease employees back to work. Sven Thornburg is converting an old television studio into a live-in office where 12 entry-level employees will compete over the next year for a $250,000 a year job with Thornburg's media empire. Think Hunger Games meets the office. Quote, people don't want to come back to the office because they're so used to being at home, he told the BBC. So I decided to make it interesting. The weekly challenges will include sitting in open cubicles for eight hours a day, getting through meetings without checking Twitter, brushing their teeth and other personal hygiene issues, and dealing with co-workers who microwave fish for lunch. One staffer will be eliminated every month until a winner is declared in April 2021. A, an office that will be a reality show competition to see who can act like a normal human being after all we've been through. Your next story of something new under the fluorescent lights comes from Helen Hong. It's a year into working from home. You haven't worn non-elastic pants in 11 and a half months. You have gained the COVID-19 and then some. Your gym is still closed and the idea of adding a workout area to your already cramped living space is like GTFO. The solution? Trampoline desks. That's a standing desk coupled with a trampoline. That's what the fitness company Bellicon is suggesting, and they're not even joking. The maker of high-end mini trampolines, or rebounders, wants to make your Zoom meeting even more awkward by having you bounce in and out of frame while delivering your presentation. Before the pandemic, Bellicon was on a mission to persuade workplaces to rid themselves of the desk chair, which it calls the most dangerous device in your office, and replace them with mini trampolines, which is ironic because no one has ever suffered a concussion at the office by launching themselves off of a spring-loaded desk chair. For models ranging from $600 to over $1,000, you can bounce your way onto a Bellicon, the poor man's Peloton. The trampoline desk coming to an office, home or otherwise near you. Your last story of an office overhaul comes from Alonzo Bowden. It's going to be hard to go back to normal office work when nobody can remember what normal used to be. Some old habits will be hard to get back. Some new ones will be hard to break. Enter the latest product from the Gould Mirror Company, the Monitor Mirror. It's a small rectangular mirror you can mount on your office computer monitor, so still do what you did while working from home. Constantly stare at your own face during meetings. Inventor Billy Gould says, quote, You can use our standard model to stare at yourself while you're on your computer, or we have a chair-mounted model that you can use to stare at yourself during face-to-face -face meetings. Our most deluxe model is the conference room array. Every participant around the table gets their own mirror so they can continue to stare at themselves helplessly while pretending to pay attention to other people, just like we've been doing since all this started. The Gould Mirror Company is expanding into other transitional products, including the Pants Dicky, a stitched piece of fabric you can lay across your lap which makes it look like you're wearing pants. What's really <laughs> underneath is up to you, says Gould. Our lawyers are having some trouble with that one. <laughs> All right. One of these innovations might be coming to office life. Is it from Roxanne Roberts, a competition show set in an office in which people try to behave like normal human beings again? From Helen Hong, the trampoline desk, even better, of course, than the treadmill desk. Or from Alonzo Bowden, the monitor mirror, which lets you continue to stare at your own face even when we are back working together face-to-face. -face. Which of these is the real story of an office innovation? Uh, as much as I would like it to be the Hunger Games story, I, I'm going to have to go with the 
office trampoline. The trampoline desk. All right, you're going to choose Helen's story of the trampoline desk. Well, we spoke to somebody responsible for this real innovation. So using a trampoline actually gets your body in motion. I mean, it's so much better than standing. (laughs) That was John Hines. He is the head of PR for Bellicon Trampolines. And this is true, was bouncing on his own trampoline (laughs) the whole time he enthusiastically talked to us about it. Congratulations, Brian. Thank you so much for playing. Have a good one. Yes, sir. You have a good one. All right. You too. Take care, Brian. And now the game, which some people think offers the most prestigious prize in the world, but of course those people are wrong. The game is called Not My Job. So about a decade ago, Kemp Powers was a working journalist who had an idea for a play based on a real-life event that happened back in the 1960s. Then that play, One Night in Miami, became a huge success, and then it was made into a movie by Regina King, and then he became the co-director of the latest Pixar movie, Soul, and now he has been nominated for an Oscar for both of those films... What's he going to do next year? Kemp Powers, welcome to Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. <laughs> Thanks for having me, man. It's fun. It's great to have you. Um, Kemp, I may have gotten the uh, the chronology not exactly right, but that's more or less what happened. You had a very interesting couple of years, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, these things, <laughs> the journey of the movie from from my play to, the, to being a film, of course, was a journey of like six, seven years. And of course, with a Pixar film, it takes several years for, for those things to get done too. But I think the, the, the coincidence of the timing is not lost on me, but, but I didn't, I didn't plan it that way. <laughs> so I have to ask, what's it, what's it like walking around as a double Oscar nominee? What do you mean? Walking around my kitchen, walking around my, <laughs> I guess, my bedroom. I guess. That's exactly what it's like. It's like I'm, I'm in the same place I've been for the past year, which is gaining weight. And what is the average? They say we're gaining two pounds a month. Yeah. So you can, you can do the math and pretty much figure out what I've been doing. Yeah, not, That's what it's not, like. Not exactly what you were imagining as a younger man with the red carpets and stuff, I guess. It, it does seem like a cruel no, no. joke. So so l- let's 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 go through it, though. So you had been a journalist and a playwright, and the, the play that has become the movie, uh, now on Amazon, directed by Regina King, One Night in Miami, is based on a real event. And I was surprised yeah. to find out how although of course you took your your dramatic license how accurate it was that these four men jim brown muhammad ali sam cook and uh and malcolm x actually did end up in a motel the night Mm -hmm. after the sunny liston fight right and 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 your play now movie describes what happened and i have to ask I, i used to write plays myself did you find it hard as a dramatist to just keep them all in the same room Yes, that was actually a big challenge. I mean, especially in the early drafts of the play where even the actors were like, why wouldn't I just walk the F out the door right now? You know, yeah. like, why, why would I stay here? So, um, you know, the play is actually quite different from the film, but that was definitely one of the, the earlier challenges. I, I mean, I mean, the biggest challenge, of course, is just not turning it into just a giant book report because there's so much interesting stuff that I learned about each of these four men that you know kind of breaking through the iconography was was really the 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 big the biggest challenge of all i i wanted to both be respectful um but also you know write a pretty interesting and entertaining play and and then and then film only one of the gentlemen is still alive has he have you had any encounters with mr brown i have not but i heard fairly recently from um from aldous hodge who actually plays him that that he got word that he saw the film and enjoyed it and and reached out and in a very it was very complimentary about the the film in general and the characterization of him specifically so that made me very very happy i i I bet you were relieved because i myself would not want to annoy jim brown just oh no you you know (laughs) You got that right. I mean, I was I was watching a, a an animated show called Tales from the Tour Bus, and and they had an episode about Rick James. And for like out of nowhere, just coincidentally, there's a part in it where Jim Brown shows up at Rick James' house looking for his daughter, and Rick James like jumps out the back window. So it's just <laughs> like that. Pretty much says everything you need to know about people's fear of of Jim Brown for for many many decades. 
um, that even like a, a coked up Rick James would be like, Jim Brown's in the house and just be like, <laughs> Wee! Out, out the back window, rolling down the Hollywood Hills. I, I want to move on and talk about Pixar. You're the co-director of their latest movie, Soul, nominated for an Academy Award. You did it with Pete Docter. How did mm-hmm. that come about? It's funny because when I, when my agent called and said, you know, Pixar, Pete Docter, they're doing a new film in there. They're interested in your writing. The first thing I thought was like, I guess Pixar's, you know, must be doing a film with some black people in it. Because if he read One Night in Miami, you kind of like, you know what you're getting. Let's put it right. that way. Yes. Um, and, and then I flew up there um, and, and was really just pleasantly surprised by... Um, just this idea of like, I mean, I was I was really stunned about the jazz of it. I was like, really? We're going to do a kid's movie about a middle-aged jazz musician? <laughs> and I was like, all right, I'm down for that. You know, like, it, the, how, tell me about this character. And he's like, oh, well, I see him as being about 45 years old. I'm like, oh, what a coincidence. I'm 45. He's like, oh, he's, you know, he's from New York. I'm like, oh, what a coincidence. So am I. And, you know, and so everything that he said about him, I was like, oh, you know what? This guy's literally my age. So I felt uniquely qualified, um, especially the journey he was going on, being a little bit older and just finally kind of breaking into the career he'd been trying to do for so many years, which I understood quite personally. Right. So it, <laughs> that in, in a in a weird way, I felt like it was the the film, the Pixar film I was meant to to write and co-direct. And how did uh, I love Pixar? I love everybody at Pixar. Uh there are not a lot of black people at Pixar. Oh no. And- <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. It was so funny because, you know, Pixar uses a car service up in Emeryville to pick people up from the airport. And right, shortly yeah. after we got going in production in Seoul, the car, because you know, it's, it's Emeryville's right next to Oakland. So a lot of the car service drivers are, are black men. And I remember once I was in one of the car services and the guy, like they, they don't usually say much, but the guy looked around and he's like, level with me, brother. Y'all are making a black movie, aren't you? I was like, what? I'm like, I said, why would you say that? He's like, because he's like, I picked up Angela Bassett, Jamie Foxx, Donnell Rawlins. He's like, I ain't never picked up this many black people and brought them to Pixar. So you guys know, I tell me, I was like, well, I can't say what we're working on. He's like, well, what is your job? I'm like, I'm the writer. He's like, man, you know y'all doing a black movie. You need to stop. <laughs> so I was like getting interrogated by by the car service drivers because they were like, yeah, we've never driven so many black people to Pixar before in all these years. <laughs> well, Kemp Powers, it is an absolute joy to talk to you. And we have asked you here, though, to play a game that this time we're calling One Actual Night in Miami. So you wrote One Night in Miami, which made us wonder how much you knew about an actual knight who lives in Miami. And by that, we mean Sir Barry Gibb, founder of the Bee Gees, knighted by Queen Elizabeth, longtime resident of Miami. Answer two out of three questions correctly about Barry Gibb. You'll win our prize for one of our listeners. Any voice of their choice from our show on their voicemail. Are you ready to play? Yes, let's do it. Bill, who is Kemp Powers playing for? Andrew Sales of Omaha, Nebraska. Here's your first question. In the late 60s, before the Bee Gees transformed into the disco gods we came to know and love, Barry Gibb wrote a concept album for the group called Odessa. According to a recent retrospective in The Guardian, the record Odessa was what? Was it A, quote, what you get when you combine three young men with a large amount of peyote? B, quote, a collection of harps, flamenco guitars, mock Gregorian chanting, a burst of Baba black sheep with lyrics about icebergs and vicars and emigrating to Finland. Or C, quote, a total of four hours of a discussion of hair products set to a drum track. I'm going to say A. No, it was actually B, a collection of harps, flamenco guitars, mock Gregorian chanting. What? That's, that's what <laughs> I've never heard it. It flopped. You know, I guess that's why they got into disco. All right. Not a worry. You still have two more chances here. They were, of course, as we all know, became huge worldwide stars, but they had to cancel several shows they once scheduled in Singapore after the government demanded that they do what if they wanted to enter the country? A, cut off their long, luscious locks of hair. B, transpose all their songs from falsetto down into a baritone range. Or C, record a dance mix of the number one song in Singapore at the time, the Pina Colada song. Is it, is it A? It is A, Kemp. Oh. That's what they did. Uh, Singapore had these rules. The the uh, the Bee Gees were not the only '70s era rockers who didn't play Singapore because Singapore required people to cut their hair. Oh. All right, if you get this last question right, 
you win our prize. One of the last great acts of the Bee Gees in the 70s was starring as Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band in a movie adaptation of the Beatles album produced by their own manager. Now, the soundtrack album to that movie has a unique distinction in music history. What is it? A, it was included on a Russian space probe, but as a warning to any aliens who find it not to come visit. B, it was the first album to inspire a vote on a declaration of war against the United States in the British Parliament. Or C, it was the first ever record to go return platinum, meaning record stores sent 4 million unsold copies back to the distributor. Uh, Unsold platinum? That's gotta be, it's gotta be that. C. That's what it was. <laughs> the Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band movie starring the Bee Gees was one of the worst films ever made and one of the greatest disasters in pop music history. Bill, how did Kemp Powers do in our quiz? Two out of three. And that's a win, Kemp. Congratulations. May it be the first of many more wins to come in the weeks. Good luck at the Oscars. Congratulations on an amazing year and lots of well-deserved success. Thank you. And, uh, and good luck in whatever you do next. Yeah, this was great. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Kemp. <laughs> Kemp Powers is nominated for two Oscars for his movies, Soul and One Night in Miami. Kemp Powers, thank you so much for joining us on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Thanks. Take care, Kemp. Bye-bye. Okay, take care. Bye-bye. In just a minute, our listener Limerick Challenge has a tart, oaky finish. Call one wait wait to join us on the air. We'll be back in a minute with more of Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me from NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor Stearns and Foster. To Stearns and Foster, your comfort is their everything. So they've made a mattress that's irresistible inside and out. Every Stearns and Foster mattress is handcrafted every stitch. Every layer uses the finest materials like indulgent memory foam and ultra-conforming IntelliCoils for the coziness you want with the support you need. Timeless quality for your most comfortable sleep. Stearns and Foster, what comfort should be. More at StearnsandFoster.com. This message comes from NPR sponsor Squarespace. Measure your end-to-end online performance with powerful website and seller analytics. Get insights on top traffic sources, understand how your reach is growing, and more. Use code NPR to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Pro-Palestinian protests have popped up on college campuses across the country. But from the eyes of students, what are we missing? From the outside, these protests are painted as really violent when... That couldn't be further from the truth. I'm Brittany Luce, host of NPR's It's Been a Minute, and I'm inviting you to hear from student journalists who see what the rest of us cannot. On It's Been a Minute from NPR. On NPR's Consider This podcast, we don't just catch you up on the news. We help you make sense of what's happening, whether it's how to tackle the challenges that come with pregnancy during a pandemic or how to understand the crisis unfolding along our southern border. We'll fill you in for 15 minutes every weekday. Listen now to Consider This from NPR. From NPR and WBEZ Chicago, this is Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, the NPR News Quiz. I'm Bill Curtis. We're playing this week with Helen Hong, Roxanne Roberts, and Alonzo Bowden. And your host, the softest working man in show business. Peter Sagal. Thank you, Bill. In just a minute, Bill slurps his Ryman noodles in our listener Limerick Challenge game. If you'd like to play, give us a call one triple eight. Wait, wait. That's one eight 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 nine two four eight nine two four. Right now, panel some more questions for you from the week's news. Helen, New York City recently allowed its restaurants to seat up to thirty five percent capacity in indoor dining, but one restaurant is filling the empty space by doing what? Oh, geez. Haven't we already gone through this? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I need a hint, Peter. Is that Abraham Lincoln over there at the corner table? And is he melting? Melting? Oh, wax figures? Yes. They are seating wax figurines of famous people from Madame Tussauds. What? That's what they're doing. Sitting in an empty restaurant can feel lonely and awkward. So Peter Luger Steakhouse in New York is filling their empty chairs with giant wax dolls. Oh, great. Now I feel lonely, awkward, and creeped out. Uh, you can see Jimmy Fallon, Al no. Roker, Audrey Wait, Hepburn. These are actual wax figures from Madame Tussauds. Yes. Uh, apparently, it's so people can feel maybe that they're eating dinner with the glitterati, even though they're but, inanimate figures. I don't, and this I'm is not at quite a sure. steakhouse, meaning there's open flame around. Yes, exactly. 
<laughs> so but you literally could melt Jimmy Fallon down. Aren't all the wax figures standing figures? Do they have well, that's, to? Like, I mean, that's kind of amazing. Them? They had to like stand them next to the to, to the oven for a little while until they could bend them into the seats. I guess. <laughs> if you so, think about it, though, all they really need is the head. They just need the head. Oh, I see they what you mean. Put, they just need the head, and then they they just need the head. They could use mannequins dressed in yeah. clothes. And then just maybe maybe creepy wax hands and the head. Wow. That's not that's not even more creepy. Let's get some mismatched mannequin body and stick somebody's <laughs> random head on it that and let's sit them next to you during your amuse bouche. No, thank the, you. In no. case you care, they have John Hamm dressed in costume from Mad Men standing next oh, to the bar. Oh, you know what? I wasn't on board until now. <laughs> okay. Now, now you're like, I'm all on right. board. <laughs> Roxanne Yes. After Prince Harry destroyed his relationship with the royal family, including his own father and brother, brought scandal to the palace and increased calls for the royal family's abolition, he has announced what he will be doing next. What career is Prince Harry going to pursue? Oh, I love this so much. He's going to be a chief impact officer. <laughs> for what? For, for a uh, health company. I'll, I'll give it to you. Yes, he is going to be the chief impact officer. Of a life coaching company. So he's going to be a life coach. Now, we know that Tyler Perry won't let them stay in his mansion forever, but really, life coaching? As you say, Roxanne, uh, technically, he will be the, quote, chief impact officer of Better Up, a life coaching and mental health firm. Chief impact officer, of course, sounds like what a fifth grader says he is right before punching you hard in the arm and laughing. (laughs) And and we just, I mean, Prince Harry is very serious about this. He's very I, serious about he this. He doesn't see the he doesn't see the irony or the the the, the ridiculousness of being like, yeah. Let me give you some advice. Uh, just be born into a royal family. Exactly. I mean, and... imagine the life coaching you'll get from Prince Harry. It's like you want have everything handed to you in a silver platter. Every now and then, you'll have a picnic while fox hunting. <laughs> oh, he's a prince of a guy. He really is. He'll be like, oh, I it just... sounds like you're having a hard time. Have you thought about talking to Oprah about it? Maybe it's a reverse thing where you come see him and tell him what real life is like. And he's just like, wow, really? Wait a minute. You wait in lines? You pay for things? Alonzo, Alonzo, artificial intelligence has rapidly improved over the last few years. But according to the programmer who created a particular field in AI, it really hasn't gotten a lot better at coming up with what? Um, I know there was something about emotions. They can't. They can't duplicate emotions. Uh, you're sort of. You know, there's no better way of giving you a hint than to give you an example of one of the things that these computers came up with. Bill, your eyes are like two rainbows and a rainbow of eyes. I can't help but stare. Pick up lines. Pick up lines. Yes, uh, Janelle Shane is an AI researcher who a couple of years ago trained a kind of artificial intelligence called a neural net to generate pickup lines. And she has decided to try it again to see if the computers have gotten any better at it. And apparently the computers are still trudging home from bars alone. Here is a selection from the cutting edge of computer-generated pickup lines. I once worked with a guy that looked just like you. He was a normal human with a family. Are you a normal human with a family? (laughs) Hey, my name is John Smith. Will you sit on my bread box while I cook? Or is there some kind of (laughs) speed limit on that thing? Uh, Can I just say, as someone who is single and who does online dating, uh, some of those are actually better than some of (laughs) the DMs that I encounter in my life. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's better than half the DMs that I get now. So, yeah. Coming up, it's lightning fill in the blank, but first it's the game where you have to listen for the rhyme. If you'd like to play on air, call or leave a message at one triple eight wait wait. That's one eight 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 nine two four eight nine two four, or click the contact us link on our website waitwait.npr.org. Also, check out Wait Wait on Instagram, which, thanks to our intern Emma, is frankly better than the radio show at this point. What are you doing here? Hi, you're on Wait Wait. Don't tell me. Hi there. This is Pete Freeman from Malvern, New York. Hey, Pete. How are you? I'm doing great. Where in New York are you from? I don't. I didn't catch the name of the town. Malvern on Long Island, right outside of New York City. You're on Long Island. Oh yeah. What do you do there? 
I am a retired uh, music teacher and arts administrator, and I'm currently a trombonist and the president of the Massapequa Philharmonic Orchestra. The famed Massapequa Philharmonic. Absolutely. Yeah, that's that's like famed all over Western Long Island. <laughs> well, Pete, welcome to the show. Bill Curtis is going to read you three news-related limericks with a last word or phrase missing from each. If you can fill in that last word or phrase correctly into the limericks, will be a winner. You ready to play? Absolutely. Thank you. Here's your first limerick. To learn which grape comes from which vine, 10000 a month sounds real fine. I'm submitting a tape and then make my escape just to learn what I can about wine. Yes, the Murphy Good Wine in Sonoma is offering a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for some lucky person to earn $10,000 a month, free room and board, and as much wine as they can drink. Now, if that sounds too good to be true, it is. You should know Murphy Good is English for Manischewitz. <laughs> I saw this, uh, uh, like, at this job posting, and I was like, holy crap! But I think I, by the time I saw it, I was already, like, the 10,000th applicant for this job. Oh, yeah. Job. The company, the winery, has apparently been doing this for the publicity they get. That's great. But they also say that the applicant has to, quote, be able to lift up to 50 pounds. So clearly you will be spending some time helping to hide the bodies. <laughs> Here is your next limerick. From eating and staying inside, there's some poundage I'm trying to hide. My hair has gone shaggy, so pants can be baggy. My jeans have some legs that are... Wide. Yes, yeah. wide. According to the Wall Street Journal, the fashion world is embracing wide-legged jeans. This is great news. For all of us who have gained a few pounds over the winter, but also those of us who carry our weight in our shins. Now, you might be saying, all right, skinny jeans are out. What's the big deal? But these are not just sort of like comfortable cut jeans. These jeans are so big, they, they turn your legs into like needless rectangles. These jeans are so wide, it's like your legs are confined to a denim oxygen tent. <laughs> Yeah, it can't just be the wide leg. It also has to be the wide hip and the wide waist. Wide everything. All right, here is your last limerick. My carnivorous plant is a sly chap, and the tales he relates are a thigh slap. And he says, just between us, I don't come from Venus. It's lovely to chat with my... Fly trap. Yes, yes. very good. You'll be happy to know that scientists have figured out how to communicate with a Venus flytrap plant. That's the carnivorous plant. Uh, they can exchange signals with the plant through sensitive electrodes. They can both monitor what the plant is doing and send it commands which the plant follows. So far, it's very good at sit and stay. Um, actually, the scientists have proved that they can cause the plant to close its trap as if there were a fly inside, which is impressive to botanists and really annoying to the plant. Does it say, feed me, Seymour? Yeah, you'd think. Although what's interesting is that they say, why are you doing this? Why are you like sending signals to the Venus flytrap to make it do anything? They say it is a first step towards creating, quote, plant robots. I love that scientists are like, we want to make plant robots. Yes. And we're going to do it with plants that eat like Meat. living things. Yes, that's a great place to start. Great Let's, idea. Which plant should we start to give like independent action to? The carnivorous one. <laughs> great idea. Anyway, Bill, how did Pete do on our quiz? Pete whistled up a perfect score. Congratulations, Pete. Congratulations, Pete. Yay. Yay. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Take care. Bye-bye. This message comes from NPR sponsor Osea with skincare sets for Mother's Day in giftable boxes with savings up to $48 and free shipping for a limited time. For 10% off your first order site-wide, go to OSEAMalibu.com and use code MOM. On Wildcard, the new podcast from NPR, you'll hear people like comedian Jenny Slate reflect on their lives. What is something you think about very differently today than you did 10 years ago? Dressing. Like, not salad dressing. I've always loved it and I'll never stop. <laughs> dressing my body. That's all part of the new game show, Wild Card, only from NPR. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.
Now on to our final game, Lightning Fill-in-the-Blank. Each of our players will have 60 seconds in which to answer as many fill-in-the-blank questions as they can. Each correct answer now worth two points. Bill, can you give us the scores? Roxanne has two, Alonzo has two, and Helen has four. Four, my goodness. So, Rox and Alonzo are tied. I will arbitrarily choose Roxanne to go first. Here we go, Roxanne. The clock will start when they begin your first question. Fill in the blank. On Wednesday, President Biden announced that blank would lead the administration's efforts to manage the border. Vice President Harris. Yes. On Tuesday, North Korea launched a barrage of short-range blanks. Missiles. Right. This week, Rachel Levine became the first openly blank official confirmed by the Senate. Transgender. Yes. On Monday, the director of the CDC warned that Americans must continue wearing blanks. Masks. Right. Just in time to ruin Easter, Peeps announced their newest creation, Blank. Marshmallow soda. Yes. Peeps flavored Pepsi. On Monday, Miami Beach declared a state of emergency over crowds attending Blank. Spring break. Right. On Tuesday, it was reported the U.S. could be facing another shortage of Blank. Uh, Vaccines. No, toilet paper. This week, two men in India attempted to smuggle gold out of the country under a pair of wigs were caught because blank. Something about the uh, uh, metal detector or something? They slipped off or something? No, they were caught because their wigs looked so terrible. Oh, okay. (laughs) The two men came up with this brilliant plan. They shaved a circle in the top of their heads. They taped these gold bars to them and they covered it with wigs. Unfortunately, the wigs were so bad. The men were stopped by airport security who quickly found the gold taped to their shaved heads. Fortunately, the men did get away with the gold they hid in their socks and their rectums. Kidding. Security found those too. Okay. (laughs) Bill, how did Roxanne do in our quiz? She had six right for 12 more points. She now has 14, a healthy lead. All right. Okay, Alonzo, you're up next. Fill in the blank. On Tuesday, President Biden called on Congress to tighten blank laws. Gun laws. Yes. On Wednesday, the governor of Virginia signed a law abolishing blank. Uh, Confederacy? Uh, No, they're abolishing the death penalty. This week, AstraZeneca said that updated analysis showed their blank was 76% effective. Vaccine? Right. This week, a woman in Chicago was shocked when a security video showed blank stealing a package off her porch. Uh, Raccoon? Close. A squirrel on Tuesday, a report said U.S. prosecutors were considering sedition charges against the blank rioters. The insurrection? Yes. On Thursday, it was revealed the New York Governor Blank prioritized COVID tests for his family. Cuomo? Yes. This week, a woman on her honeymoon had to remove a cute picture of a wine glass that she posted on Instagram because a friend had commented blank. About lipstick on the wine glass? No, the friend commented, I don't know if you care, but your entire naked body is reflected in the glass. (laughs) The woman had just wanted to share a photo of her celebratory glass of wine on her honeymoon. But she shared so much more. Clearly, this is not what she had in mind when she ordered a full-bodied red. The woman ended up deleting the picture, but not before 75 people liked it, which she says is, quote, 74 people and my mother-in-law too many. (laughs) Bill, how did Alonzo do in our quiz? Alonzo had four right for eight more points. He now has 10, but Roxanne still has the lead with 14. All right. So how many, then, does Helen need to walk away with this thing? Ooh. Five to tie, six to win. All right, Helen, here we go. This is for the game. On Wednesday, Senate Democrats held a committee meeting aimed at expanding blank rights. Voting. Yes. This week, vigils were held to honor the 10 people killed in a supermarket shooting in blank. Colorado. Yes. On Wednesday, hundreds of people involved in protests against the military coup in blank were released from prison. In uh, Myanmar? Yes, Myanmar. This week, a woman in Louisiana bought a cake, some balloons, and went out to celebrate the first birthday of blank. Her Pet squirrel. No, the unfinished road construction near her house. On Monday, an advisor to Blank said he had plans to launch his own social media network. Donald Trump. Yes, following accusations of running a toxic workplace, Blank's talk show lost over a million viewers this past season. Ellen DeGeneres. Yes, this week a mother denied that she had plans to fight a student at her daughter's school, despite the fact that she had showed up there with Blank. Boxing gloves. Yes! The woman... (laughs) was called to the school to talk about her daughter's history of fighting, and afterwards the mother got in the fight with the teenager who had dropped the dime. The woman denied that this was planned, but she did show up to the meeting with a boxing glove on one hand, and when they asked her about the glove, like, why do you have a boxing glove in your hand? This is true. The woman said she could not remove it because it was glued on. (laughs) Same goes for the metal folding chair glued to her other hand. Bill, did Helen do well enough to win? Yes. (gasps) 
You gotta watch her. She had six right for 12 more points. She now has 16, and she is this week's champion. Oh, my God. You brought down Roxanne. This is the first time I have competed against Roxanne, and now I'm afraid she's going to come to my house and beat me up. (laughs) I won't, I promise. With a boxing glove. (laughs) In just a minute, we're going to ask our panelists to predict how they're going to get that ship out of the Suez Canal. Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me is a production of NPR and WBEZ Chicago in association with Urgent Haircut Productions, Doug Berman, Benevolent Overlord. Philip Godica writes our limericks. Our public address announcer is Paul Friedman. Our house manager is Gianna Capadona. Our intern is Emma Choi. Our web guru is Beth Novi. B.J. Lederman composed our theme. Our program is produced by Jennifer Mills, Miles Nurboss, and Lillian King. Our man in music business is Peter Gwynn. Technical direction is Lauren White. Our business and ops manager is Colin Miller. Our production manager is Robert Newhouse. Our senior producer is Ian Shillog. And the executive producer of Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me is Michael Danforth. Now, panel, how are they finally going to free that boat from the Suez Canal? Roxanne Roberts. It's simple. Just add cold water. Shrinkage. Huh? Alonzo Bowden. Someone's going to buy the boat on Amazon, and they will deliver it. And Helen Hall. Have they tried prune juice or Metamucil? Well, if they do, we're going to ask you about it on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Thank you, Bill Curtis. Thanks also to Roxanne Roberts, Alonzo Bowden, and Helen Hong. Thanks to all of you for listening. I'm Peter Sagal. I can see clearly now. The rain is gone. And we'll see you next week. This is NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Mass Mutual. The Financial Educators Council says 39% of Americans don't have someone to go to for financial advice, but you can plan for the short and long term with someone backed by 170 years of financial expertise at MassMutual.com. Support for NPR and the following message come from State Farm. As a State Farm agent and agency owner, Lakeisha Gaines understands the support small businesses need. Every day we get the privilege of helping people to recover from the unexpected, realize their dreams, and help manage the risk of everyday life. And for small business owners, we help them to think about all the things that are necessary so that they can continue to run their businesses successfully without interruption. As a business owner myself, I first reflect back to the experiences that I have. So we look at their liability. We look at their retirement. We look at the interruption coverage, everything that they need in order to continue to operate efficiently. Talk to your local agent about small business insurance from State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Listening to the news can feel like a journey, but the 1A podcast guides you beyond the headlines and cuts through the noise. Listen to 1A, where we celebrate your freedom to listen by getting to the heart of the story together, only from NPR.